broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia. It's time for Business Writers Radio. Now, here are your hosts. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of Business Writers Radio, and this is going to be a good one, Stone. I have been looking forward to this segment for weeks. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast the author of Sell with a Story, How to Capture Attention, Build Trust, and Close the Sale, Mr. Paul Smith. How are you, man? Hey, very good. Thanks for having me on. Now, Paul, for our listeners, do you mind kind of recapping your career uh, prior to being an author? What were you doing before that? Yeah, so I, I spent uh, probably 22 years in the corporate world, as I guess I would say, a couple of years as a consultant for Accenture, what, what's Accenture now, Arthur Anderson and company back then. But the bulk of my career, 22 years with uh, the Procter & Gamble company and various levels of, of management and, uh, and, and different responsibilities in finance and, and mostly in consumer research. Um, and all that lasted until about three years ago when I when I left P and G to to do this authoring and speaking thing full time. Now, what was the impetus that got you interested in writing a book? Oh yeah, you know it. Uh, it probably just took me 15 years or so to kind of realize how important storytelling is to uh, to being a successful leader. And um, and and once I realized that, it, it occurred to me very quickly that uh, I didn't really know how to do it very well. <clears throat> in fact, uh, you know, nobody—they didn't teach me that in business school, and they didn't teach me that at P&G when I got there. So I, I just kind of set off on my own little learning journey to figure out uh, how do I do this this thing called storytelling. And um, yeah, I read a lot of books, uh, but mostly I ended up interviewing CEOs and executives and leaders at companies all over the world just to try and figure out when are they telling stories and what kind of stories are they telling and. <clears throat> You know, I ended up reverse engineering my way into what I thought made for a great leadership story. But, but along the way, it, it dawned on me that if I want to know this that badly, surely other people do as well. So it, it kind of stopped just being Paul Smith's personal learning journey and started to become uh, an idea for a book. And, and so that, that was kind of the impetus behind the, the, the three books in the series. So you were working full time and you were um, just kind of exploring this idea of storytelling and how it affected leaders and, and how leaders leverage it. And then it's kind of expanded into its own little cottage industry now, isn't it, right? Yeah, it is. And in fact, the uh, storytelling in the last couple of decades has really come into its own. And uh, you'll, you'll obviously hear a lot about it in marketing and sales and, and leadership. And so I, I probably got in at a, a, a pretty good time in it. But where maybe if I just waited another 10 years, I wouldn't have had to do all the research myself because <laughs> somebody would have taught me. But uh, I think it worked out better, me being on the, the front end than the back end. So now, um, can you share some, kind of define some terms? Like, what is the difference between just a story or a leadership story versus maybe a sales story or even a sales story versus a sales pitch? Yeah, so um, I, I think a lot of people have, uh, in the last uh, 10 years or so, started to use the word story for things it was probably never really intended to mean. So, for example, if if the three of us were in a meeting on uh you know, Monday morning with a few other people and, and the boss came in and, and uh, kind of clapped her hands together and said, uh, all right, people, we've got a big sales pitch uh, coming up in a few days. And, uh, you know, we really need this one to, to, we need to knock this one out of the park. So what's our story? You know, that, that person at that moment probably does not really mean story like I would mean story or like any, most people would use the word story. What they probably mean is what's the logical series of facts and arguments and data that we're going to put together, probably in a PowerPoint presentation, that we're going to read 
you know, to the buyer, prospective buyer, such that by the end of the meeting, we've got the best chance of having a sale. And that's probably what they mean. And there's nothing wrong with that. that. That's exactly what you should be asking for when you're preparing for a big sales call. But calling it a story, I think, is a is a misconception because that's not a story. That's a sales pitch, right? That's a set of arguments and facts. And a story is something very different. And uh, in fact, I'll just give you an example, um, if you don't mind. Uh, and this is a personal one of mine. So last summer, my wife and I went to a um, an art show in Coney Island in Cincinnati. And, and she was looking for a, a picture or some kind of a piece of art for our son's bathroom at home. And we get to this one booth of this, um, this artist, uh, a photographer named Chris Gook, and he just takes these mesmerizing pictures of underwater things like sea anemones and coral reefs and stuff. Well, anyway, she's flipping through his, his stuff, and she gets emotionally attached to this one picture that, to me, looked about as out of place as a, as a pig in the ocean. And, and the reason is because it, it literally was a picture of a pig in the ocean, right? which of course made no sense to me whatsoever. And so when I finally get my turn to ask a question of this guy, I said, dude, what's with the pig in the ocean? How did you get that pig to swim in the ocean to get a picture of him? And he said, and that by the way, is when the magic started. Okay. So the guy said, oh yeah, it was the craziest thing. He said, so that picture was taken off the beach of this uninhabited island in the Bahamas called Big Major K. And he said, apparently what happened was a few years ago, some local entrepreneur got the idea to raise a pig farm for bacon. Well, he gets all these pigs and he finds this uninhabited island. He can keep them on for free. He throws them out there. And he said, but if you look in the picture really closely, and he pointed up on the beach behind the, the little pig. And he said, what do you see on the beach there? And I said, well, it, it looks like not much more than cactus. And he said, yeah, pig don't like cactus. <laughs> he said, that was a problem because uh, they, they couldn't find enough to eat. And he said, well, pretty soon a local restaurant owner on a neighboring island started boating his kitchen refuse over to Big Major K every night and dumping it a few dozen yards offshore. And he said, so pretty soon this first little hungry piglet you know, braves the waters and, and makes it all the way out there to get some food. And then a second pig and a third pig and he said, now two, three generations later, all the pigs on Big Major K can swim. And he said, in fact, anytime a boat comes up to Big Major K, these little pigs swim right up to it because they assume it's that restaurant guy going to dump some food in the, in the water, right? So he said, it was so easy for me to get this picture. I just reached, I didn't have to get out of the boat, right? I just reached out of the, off the boat, off the edge uh, with my camera and stuck it in the water. So anyway, I, I like, you know, I've already got my credit card at this point, slapping it on the table and saying, okay, we'll take it, right? Because you know, two minutes ago, that story or that, that picture was worth nothing to me or not much more than the paper it was printed on. My wife loved it, but I just thought it was silly. But after hearing that story, now I wasn't just buying a picture. I was buying a story, right? A, a story that there was a combination of um, you know, animal psychology lesson, lesson and, and uh, uh, a geography lesson, you know, all kind of wrapped into one. And it, it was just a, a great story that I get to tell everybody that comes into my house now. So, so literally that story turned that picture into something much more valuable to me, right? So that's an example of a story. That, that's not a sales pitch. In fact, if you talk to Chris Gook, he'll tell you, well, I didn't tell you that story just to get you to buy my picture. And I said, I know you didn't. And that's why it was beautiful. <laughs> but it worked to do that because it was just a genuine, authentic story that, that I love now. And when I buy that picture, every time I look at that picture, I think of that story. Now, is there a structure for stories? Yeah, of course. You know, all the, you know, any books or movies, you know, you, you look at, they're all going to have a certain structure and, and stories for, for leadership or sales are no different. And they're basically all, all the same. I mean, stories have a, you know, they have a beginning, middle, and end, but that basically means a context at the beginning, 
some kind of a challenge in the middle that leads to a conflict. And that conflict has got to be resolved at the end. So if you think about that pig story, you know, the context is, well, it was a few years ago on Big Major K in the Bahamas. And the, the hero was the, or the, the protagonist were these pigs. And what they were trying to do was just eat and survive, right? So that's the context. The challenge is they ran into a problem. And the problem was there wasn't anything for them to eat on the island. That's a big problem, right? The conflict is them, the, the struggle, the str- the, them struggling to learn how to swim. And once they do that, you can get to the resolution, which is, oh, it all worked out. They all learned to swim. Now we got a, an island that people just call Pig Island now, by the way. They don't even call it Big Major K anymore. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's the, the flow of a story, context, challenge, conflict, and resolution. And then when you're done with that, then as a salesperson, you can, uh, or a leader, you can begin to make sense of the story for people and help explain the lesson and what kind of action you want them to take from it. Now, when you're, um, when you're kind of developing your story or kind of constructing it, does it have to be in sales a hundred percent true or is it something like how much license do you have? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, and a pretty common one I get. And, and my perhaps surprising answer is, um, is no, it doesn't have your, your stories always don't have to be true. Most of them should be, but if they're not that you can, you can tell a story that, that you just made up as, uh, under one condition, I guess. And that one condition is that you let your audience know that you made it up. Right. If you tell somebody a story that you totally made up and you didn't tell them that you made it up, well, now you're just a liar, right? And you'll very quickly get caught and ruin all your credibility. Um, but you should be telling true stories most of the time, unless you just you're in a situation you cannot think of a true story that fits the situation. But you know that there's a plausible set of you know circumstances that probably happen. You can you can tell that as long as you tell them up front. Look, I'm totally making this up, but go with me on this because I think it'll help you understand what I'm trying to communicate. And then you make up your story. So you can, but most of them, most you, of them definitely should be true. You can make a hypothetical. That's yeah, exactly. That's the right way. Here's a hypothetical situation that you know probably has happened a million times. You just can't think of the right names and dates and places. Now, um, is there some mistakes that you see storytellers making? Yeah, <laughs> uh, an awful lot, uh, which is, I suppose, good for me because that makes for for good business. But um, yeah, one of the most common ones. I Tell, think, me, a just, Tell me a story. Tell me a story. What's that? Tell me a story about some of the mistakes. <laughs> yeah, about some of the mistakes. Yeah, uh, people, uh, they, they, they have trouble kicking off their stories, how to get their stories started. Uh, and the, the biggest mistakes I see them making with that beginning is either apologizing or asking permission to tell the story. And, and you've seen that happen before, by the way. You're, you're in a meeting and somebody will raise their hand and they'll, they'll uh, interrupt and say, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, can I just tell a story? I, I promise it'll just take a minute. Now, now, what does that communicate to you about how valuable they think the story is? And not much. <laughs> exactly. I, I, they don't even think it's very valuable because they're already apologizing and asking permission to tell it, right? So like, leaders don't ask permission to lead, right? They just lead. You know, never ask permission or apologize for telling a story. If you're a salesperson, like you don't ask permission to tell your sales story or apologize or for, for, for giving your sales pitch. You don't apologize for a sales pitch. You just deliver your sales pitch, right? It should be the same with stories. Just start telling it without apology and without asking permission for it. Do you recommend starting it with once upon a time? <laughs> well, <laughs> only if it's one of those made up stories. Because as soon as you hear that, you're like, oh, okay, well, this is a made up story, which is fine if it's a made up story. But what you should start it out with is, you know, last year uh, at Coney Island with my wife, right? So a where and a when. So the, I t- the, the story of the pig island was a true story, but I heard, you know, the true story when I heard it and the story about me going and hearing the story was a true story. So it always should start with a time 
and a place. And that lets your listener know that this is a true story because I've got I've got all my facts together, right? I know exactly where it happened and when it happened without having to tell them, okay, this is a true story that I'm about to tell you. The, the time and the place just communicates that. Well, and the thing that you do so well, Paul, is you link the story to the purpose or the topic that you're trying to communicate about. And I think that that's key as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's, that's a good point. In fact, I often, I often have people ask me, um, Hey, I've got a big presentation next week or a big sales call or whatever. Have you got any uh, new stories that I could use? And my response is always the same. It's like, well, how can I possibly recommend a story to you when I don't know a, who you are, B, who your prospective client is or, or buyer that you're trying to pitch to and what it is you're selling and what point you're trying to make. Like, like stories aren't just entertainment. I mean, uh, Hollywood stories are, but I mean, if you're telling a story for a leadership or for a, a, a sales in a sales call, it can't just be a, a funny story or an emotional story. It has to be, you know, something very related to what it is you're, the point you're trying to make. And so I'll often, I'll write them back and I'll, and I'll explain what I just explained to you. And I say, oh, you know, just anything emotional I could use in a sales call. I'm like, oh, you you don't get it, right? I mean, like, there's no other story that that guy could have told me uh, about the, the the picture of the pig in the ocean that would have gotten me to buy the picture of the pig in the ocean. Only the story about how he got the picture of the pig in the ocean will work to do that. He can't just tell me a funny story about the barbecue that he had this weekend, right? So, so yes, your story should be very intentional, and and every sales call that you go through, you ought to have a list of here are the stories that I'm going to tell, and this is the order I'm going to tell them in, right? I'm going to start with a story about me to introduce myself to the buyer and get, have them get to know me better. You know, then I'm going to move to a story about um, you know, why I do what I do for a living to, to build that rapport a little bit more. And then I'm going to get into a story about the founding of the company that I work for so they know why we're even in business. And, and only then am I going to get to a story about the sales pitch, the actual you know, story like the Pig Island story, the story about the product I'm selling. And then I'm going to tell them a story that's going to help me create a sense of urgency. So they'll, they'll, they'll want to, I'll want them to close the sale now and not six months from now. And, you know, and then after the sale's over, then I'm going to tell them a loyalty building story. I mean, so yes, they should be very intentional and you, you ought to have a repertoire of them ready to go at any time. And something that's important, and I think this goes along with storytelling over the years, is that these these uh, stories are meant to be shared with other people that work in the organization. Just because it didn't happen to me, I still have permission to tell the story if it affects my company. Oh, a- absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, can you imagine wh- what kind of person would only tell stories about themselves? Right? I mean, what would you think about somebody that did that? Right. It, it's too self-centered. Like it, it, yeah. it has to be bigger than yeah, them. Just, the story should be... Self-centered SOB. You'd never want to do, do business right. with, right? But that's an important component, though, that these stories are transferable. Like the um, you other people can use the same story, especially yeah, well, with I, the history I mean, the of the The example company. I just gave you, I, I'm not the guy that took the picture of the pig in the ocean. Chris Goog is the guy that took the picture of the pig in the ocean. I, now, and I, I just told you the story that he told me, right? So you absolutely, you should be telling other people's stories. You shouldn't be telling them as if it happened to you or, or, or lying about who it happened to. But yeah, you, your, your repertoire of stories should include stories about your clients or your customers, about, about your competitors. Hopefully, those are probably going to be failure stories, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or stories about other people you work with or the founder of the company or you know, other people that have used your product and, you know, or people that didn't use your product and wish they had used your product. Yeah. So most of your stories should be about other people 
you know, occasionally you should tell a story about yourself, especially during the rapport building, you know, uh, part of that buyer relationship development. But most of them should be about other people. Now, in your book about uh, sales, do you go into the specific different types of stories that there are or a person should have in their kind of storytelling portfolio? Yeah, yes, exactly. And I, I probably just mentioned four or five of them earlier, but, but what, I, what I concluded at the end of the research, um, and by the way, I ended up interviewing professional sales people and professional buyers at 50 or 60 companies around the world. And I was looking for, you know, where are, where are salespeople telling stories in the whole sales process? And I found 25 <laughs> different stories that I think great salespeople really need to have in their repertoire. And I'd mentioned a few of them earlier, but, but they, they start from as early as uh, stories that you use to introduce yourself to a prospective buyer, um, even stories you tell yourself to motivate yourself or relax and take the stress out of the call, you know, to stories that you'll tell uh, when you're trying to build rapport, like I said, the why I do what I do stories or, or stories to communicate, hey, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not, I'm not just a, a guy here to sell you something. You know, I do have your best interest in mind or, or a story that uh, explains, hey, I'll tell you when I made a mistake type story. Then the founding stories of the company are great or stories to communicate how we're different from our competitors. Um, and then even in the middle, when you're actually delivering the sales pitch, you know, one of them, like I said earlier, is the, the invention of your product. But uh, stories to show, to illustrate the problem that your product is designed to solve, uh, different stories to show uh, the success of customers that have bought your product or service. Um, stories like the Pig Island, when those are, I call those value adding stories because they're stories that actually make the product you're selling more valuable. Then um, uh, stories to resolve objections because you'll always get one from a buyer. Oh, well, that's great, but that costs too much. Or that's great, but that doesn't fit our specifications. Or that's great, but we don't need that right now or whatever. Any of those objections, you ought to have a, a, a story to resolve that objection. You know, And even closing the sale, um, I mentioned creating a sense of urgency, but one of the more creative uses of storytelling I, I came across in the research, um, I call coaching the breakup. And I found one company that had that uh, when they got a, a new buyer to a new customer, the customer always had difficulty essentially firing their old supplier so they could do business with, with these people's, the new company. And so they collected from all of their clients stories about how they easily and successfully and in an emotionally easy way fired their old supplier so that they could start doing business with the new supplier. And so they started telling those stories to help their new prospects realize, oh, you know, this isn't going to be this traumatic event that I'm going to have to call this guy I've been doing business with for 20 years and, and fire him. There are, there are ways I can do that. So those coaching the breakup stories are wonderful too. Now, are stories only told verbally or can they be in writing as well? Yeah, I, I, I think I'm kind of vehicle agnostic when it comes to that. Cause I, I think stories can be told verbally, they can be in writing, they can be on a video, they could be audio, you know, they, they can be in person, they can be on the phone, they can be in email. Or Yeah, I, I, storytelling works in, in any communication vehicle that you're used to communicating in. Um, there are some slight differences between the way you would write a story and the way you would deliver it verbally. And I've got a, a, there's one chapter in the book that just goes into verbal versus written stories. But one of those differences is not the structure of the story and it's not the emotion in the story and it's not the surprise. All, you know, all of those things are the same. You know, there's really just some very slight differences in the delivery. The, the vast majority of it is, is the same. Now, can we talk a little bit about the, your system for writing the book? Was it, you know, going from uh, being in a corporate world and now being an author, you had to um, put a proposal together and pitch the, the book idea to a publisher. 
and then now your your career's evolved where this is what you're doing now. Uh, can, so can you talk a little bit about the mechanics of making that transition? Yeah. So, so the first one was very much like you just said. So it was, you know, I, I had this idea, you know, I contacted a, a literary agent because um, I didn't know much about, you know, the publishing business and she helped me get connected with a publisher. I had to write a book proposal, which is this big, long 40 or 50 page thesis, <laughs> like you would have written in college about your book idea and some sample chapters and, you know, uh, uh, who do you think is going to buy the book and all this kind of stuff. And so that, that's a pretty involved process that you could, you could spend a whole show talking about. Um, so that was the, the first book. And then after that, though, that process gets a lot easier, especially if you stay with the same publisher, because, you know, then my second idea, I just had to write a, a two page summary of the book idea because they already were familiar with me and how I write. And, um, you know, that my first book did well, so they had some confidence in it. And then by the third book, it was even easier because actually they contacted me with the idea. They're like, okay, we got two books out in this with a story series. So my first book was lead with a story for leadership. Second one is parenting with a story, obviously for parents to, to teach their kids uh, life lessons and character through storytelling. And then they said, well, we think the next one in this series ought to be sell with a story for salespeople. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so it continues to get easier, I guess, as long as you stay with the same publisher. And then you use the same methodology to do the interviews and to capture the stories and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, you know, my, my modus operandi I kind of, I have three, three phases I, I write in. First of all, I read all the other books I can find on that topic. And, and, you know, the truth is there's, there's like 15 million books that are in print and available on Amazon. So just about any idea that you think you have, somebody's written a book about it before. It may not have been very well published or nobody bought it, but there's a book out there. So I, I read I read 30 or 40 or 50 books before every one that I write just to, to learn everything I can about that space. So that's phase one. Phase two is I do my own primary research, meaning I, I will call up and interview dozens or hundreds of people, you know, in the case of leadership, lead with a story. It was a bunch of CEOs and executives. In the case of parenting with a story, it was just some random people around the world that had inter interesting life stories. And for sell with a story, I interviewed salespeople and procurement professionals at 50 or 60 different companies around the world. Um, and that that's where I get the original stories to include in the book and also where I do most of my learning about what's working with the stories and what's not working with the stories. So that's phase two. And then phase three is I sit down to write the book. And it's probably about a third of my time. I might spend 18 months working on a book and I'll spend six months in that first phase, six months in the second phase, and then do all the writing in that last six months. And then the way that, uh, like, how do you, when do you like outline what the book's going to be about? Yeah. So that, that happens during phase one and two. So as I'm reading uh, all these other books on the topic, I start my outline the first day, you know, and every time I read a, a good idea, I'll put it in my outline somewhere. And all that goes that goes all the way through phase one and phase two. As I'm interviewing everybody for the book, I'm adding to this outline every time I learn something. And the outline moves around and things move up and down and then some things get deleted and some some get added. And then when I when I'm done with all that and sit down to write the book, now I've got pretty much a finished outline of the book that I want to write. And now I just have to focus on the writing. So when you're doing this research, whether it be reading other people's books or doing your own independent research, you're just kind of just casting a wide net in terms of topics and you're not deciding whether that's a chapter or just an anecdote or just an element of another chapter. You're just kind of writing everything down and then you're going to sort it out. It'll kind of form itself over time where you're saying, Oh, we have a lot of activity around this one topic. So I guess that's a chapter. 
Yeah, that's that's part of it. But, but remember, like that uh, that original book proposal. Part of what you do when you write a proposal to write a book is you you write an, uh, a brief outline right then. So you go into it knowing uh, a little bit about what the book's going to look like. But you always change it based on what you learn during the research. So uh, it's kind of like they say in the military, right? No no plan survives contact with the enemy, right? <laughs> so in my case, the enemy, I guess, is the research in this analogy. But um, yeah, so you start with a vague idea of what it looked like, and then it changes as you as you go through. Uh, so I so I am conducting interviews with people, spe- and specifically asking questions based on what I learned in phase one of the research, um, and then what I learned from each person kind of affects what I ask maybe the next one. So will there be more in this series, or will there be another one? Yeah, you know, gosh, I I, I hope so. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to be yet. I. I I can imagine uh, I've got several on a list of maybes. Like I can imagine uh, for for t- uh, teachers for educational purposes, I can imagine teach with a story. Um, but if you've got any good ideas, I'd certainly take them. <laughs> uh, and then, do will you continue to utilize a literary agent, or w- what's your process now that you're kind of established? Yeah, so you know, I suppose if I stayed with this uh, publisher for a long time, I wouldn't need uh, uh, an agent, but I've, I've kept the same agent for all three books. And, um, and, you know, I've got my idea uh, about a next book and I'll, I'll use her as well for that. Uh, because the fourth one I know is, is going to require a different publisher anyway. Um, but having an agent is just good because it, it, it's somebody to do the negotiating for you for royalties and advances and all that kind of stuff and stuff that you as the author don't really want to get involved in. So, uh, to, to me, it's been, it's been a good investment. So what advice could you give uh, some of us that don't have the kind of experience you do in this world? How should, what kind of questions should we be asking uh, an agent? Because I think many of us maybe don't even know what to look for and what kind of questions to ask. Yeah, well, I, to, to me, I wanted somebody who had a track record in getting books published in the genre I wanted to publish in. So, um, so in that case, it was a bit, you know, my first book was a business book, a leadership book. So I looked up agents that had experience getting leadership and business books published, you know, because if you, if you have an agent that specializes in, I don't know, a teenage literature or, you know, uh, you know, po- poetry or something, they're, they're not going to have the contacts with the same publishers or the same editors that you're going to want for your book. So that's the number one thing that, that I look for. And in fact, a good resource for you is, um, I think it's called uh, The Writer's Market. Uh, it, it's this big, enormous book, probably a couple thousand pages. It's called The Writer's Market Deluxe Edition. And it essentially lists all of the publishers in North America and all of the literary agents, and it tells you what their specialty areas are. Uh, and, they, and they even have a, a database you'll get access to where you can look up the right ones. And I think that's how I found mine. Now, you're a professional speaker as well. How important is having that platform to the publisher when you're going to to uh, share an idea for a new book? Is that important to them that you have a platform for distributing and, and the idea and possibly selling books? Yeah, you know, it is. Uh, and it's, a, it's a strange kind of dynamic because being a speaker is important to them because it tells them that you have a platform to sell books, that you're going to be in front of audiences all the time and talking about your book. And those are people that are, can and probably will want to buy your book. So it's a it's a natural built-in demand for the product that they're about to produce. So they love it when authors have a, a regular speaking or training business. The, the interesting thing is, is the, the opposite is kind of the case for the speaker. The, the, the speaker needs the book, right? The, <laughs> right. Like, 
I spend 75% of my time researching and writing the books that I write and only 25% of my time uh, doing, doing keynotes and training events and, and coaching and, uh, and consulting on, for, for clients. But I make my money in exactly the opposite place. I make 85% of my money uh, speaking and training and only 15% from book royalties. You know? So the speaker needs the book. The publisher wants the author to have a speaking engagement. So it works nicely together, I guess. So now, um, can we talk a little bit about the promotion of the book? Um, how, so you mentioned that a lot of your time is meant writing the book, but promoting it is an important component, and publishers are looking for a, a marketing plan too, right? And in addition to just a writing the book plan. Yeah, they definitely want the authors to have their own marketing plan. So, you know, I, I have a newsletter that I send out every couple of weeks. I, I do uh, I have two different podcast series uh, that, that I do. Um, and of course, all of my speaking engagements are part of a, a, a marketing plan. So yeah, that, writing a book is only half the equation. You've got to be able to sell books in order for a publisher to, to be interested in, unless you're self-published, of course, and then you can, you can do whatever you want. Um, uh, but, but that's probably not going not gonna to create the kind of ongoing business model that, that I would be interested in. And so what are some of the tactics you use for uh, promoting the book? You mentioned podcasting and uh, speaking. Yeah, so pot, I, I do a couple of podcast series, uh, one every week. Um, I've got a regular newsletter that I do. I do regular blog posts. Um, but for the book launches, um, so for e- each time I've had a book launch, my my publisher, they have their own public relations department that gets you uh, booked on on radio shows like yours and uh, and uh, doing guest posts and guest blogs for, for uh, popular bloggers or gets you as a guest on other people's podcasts and things like that. Um, in fact, some of them even will hire an outside PR agency to specifically do an online campaign or a radio campaign or something like that. So that, that's always part of launching a book. Um, what, what you won't have, you won't see a lot of advertising for books. And it's just because the 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 math just doesn't work out with as small of sales as books typically are on the small margins. You know, you're not going to see a lot of full page ads in the New York times to buy a book. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to see people on radio shows and, um, and on blog posts. Now, um, can you share one piece of advice for an up and coming author? Yeah, get, get an agent. Um, I, I know a lot of people that, that don't, or, and if you've already published several times, you, you probably don't need one, but that, that, that certainly works for me. And I know some people that uh, they, they want to write an entire book in six months and just get it out there. And that doesn't work for me very well. Like I, I want to spend, you know, a year and a half doing a lot of research and, and creating a really good book and, and getting it well published. Um, you know, like don't give up trying to get your book published by a, a big New York City publishing house because they're going to do so much more to to publicize the book and get it into different languages and to different publisher, publishers around the world. I think my first book's in six or seven languages around the world and it's in its eighth printing now. And I'm just, I'm convinced that wouldn't have happened if I just tried to self-publish the book. So you asked us to put a little bit of thought into uh, a, a book for the next one in the series. Now this may be confined to the junior high or high school market, but I've got win her okay. heart with a story. Oh, I say that again, win her heart with a story. Ah, so, so wooing the opposite sex, are we? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh wow! I had not thought about that. That's uh, that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting scenario. I'll have to, uh, I have to give that some thought. Thank you. Well, Paul, it was great talking to you. If people want to learn more about you and your work, is there a website or a best way to get a hold of you? Yes, please. So, uh, so my website is uh, leadwithastory.com. So that's the name of the first book. 
Um, and, and you can find the new book, Sell with a Story, uh, just about anywhere. It should be in bookstores now and uh, on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and places like that. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for being part of the show. You bet. Thanks so much.